Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I do want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour of today's show for making this show economically viable. They are Arroway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Eurasian Minerals, Mill Rock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Well, uh, when we went to the break, I, I mentioned to Lou Rockwell, who's back with me, thankfully, uh, that I told my subscribers and my listeners that they had two choices when they voted for president this time. They could vote for a communist or they could vote for a fascist. Uh, Lou, that's probably shocking to most people to hear something like that. Um, was I out of line? Uh, I would just amend it to say they had a choice between a fascist and a fascist. Oh, okay. <laughs> because because both these guys, despite the rhetoric, uh-huh. are are affiliated with exactly the same interest groups. That is, uh, Wall Street banks, um, big pharma, the military-industrial complex. I mean, go down the list of all the big industries that that live off the government. Mm-hmm. 
I, the rhetoric is very different between these two guys. Yeah. But is there any substantive difference between Romney and Obama any more than between McCain and Obama? No, this, no. of course, is the American uh, American system to fool the people, to give you creep A is versus creep v, B, and that's mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, heralded as democracy. Uh, I, I myself have never understood why it's okay for the majority to crush the minority. I don't, I don't understand the moral argument for that. Although we're supposed to think democracy is a wonderful thing, but uh, even within, even if we accept their their description of, of this allegedly wonderful political system, they've rigged the game so that it's always. So that the first of all, the government always wins, no matter mm-hmm. who is put in office. The government wins, but the interest groups, the American oligarchy wins. So that you know, George Soros and and uh, Warren Buffett and all the rest of these guys, uh, the Koch brothers and so forth, they all they all do very well, and that's sort of the permanent government. And every once in a while, the uh, oligarchy changes the little button on their lapel. So maybe it's Obama's smiling face, and then maybe it's Clinton's, or it's you know whoever is, or and maybe it's uh, you know Reagan's. But it's uh, there's a there's a sort of a deep government, and the guy in the White House um, has to play along, and and he of course does very well. He becomes powerful and famous, and he's enriched, and his family's enriched, and he becomes. He goes into the textbooks and everything. Meanwhile, uh, other forces are at work. Mm-hmm. Other forces that are really hollowing out a middle class, what's left of it in the United States. It would, uh, just one more question. We're just peons to them. Yeah, we're um, serfs, I guess, and, and yeah. serfdom, uh, moving uh, to, uh, to, to go back to uh, one of the Austrians that you just mentioned. Yeah, the uh, serfs typically didn't have to pay more than 25% of their income, so... Uh, we're beyond that. We're we're super serfs. Yeah. Well, isn't that cool? Um, cruel, I guess. Uh, and going back to some of the philosophers, uh, and you know, where did we go wrong? Because it certainly wasn't what our founding fathers wanted, or at least what I believed. I thought that I was taught they wanted the Declaration of Independence. You know, suggested that in fact we. We are more important than the state that we are uh, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain rights. And but uh, Adam Smith um, was Adam Smith. How close would he have been to Austrian? Quite a ways away from Austrian economics, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he was a, you know a very important guy. He, he wrote an extremely influential, uh, huge book called The Wealth of Nations. But if you look at Murray Rothbard's history of thought um, and 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 other works. You see that actually the best economists, the ones closest to the Austrians, actually were on the continent. They were not only in Austria but in France and uh, and other countries. And the English economists, uh, that it's no coincidence that Keynes was an English economist. The English economists were were not as good. Um, um, Adam Smith um, was heavily influenced by the continental economists, but didn't didn't give them any credit mm-hmm. in his work or very little credit. And uh, we have to look to people like Richard Cantillon and, and others, um, uh, uh, A.R.J. Turgot. These names are not household names because um, they are far too free market and, and laissez-faire. So Adam Smith, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in his book, a lot, a lot to be learned from that book. But um, uh, he had some serious problems. One, for example, he believed in the labor theory of value. He believed that the amount of labor put into the production of a good determine its value. That's, of course, where Karl Marx got that. Yes. And, uh-huh. and so if, if the value of, of a, of a uh, car, let's say, that comes out of the factory is entirely a function of the labor that was put into it, hey, the businessman is ripping off the workers. 
shouldn't all the the proceeds go to the workers? Well, of yeah. course, it's not just labor. Um, if we, you know, labor doesn't put any value into something. I could spend, you know, hundreds of hours making some crazy contraption that nobody would be interested in, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't give it value by putting labor into it. So this is entirely nonsensical and 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 really a, a very dangerous notion. Had yeah. very very bad effects, and um, it's, it's, uh, the Austrians showed that value in any kind of a good is entirely subjective. That is. Um, you might love my tie. Uh, maybe you'd pay fifty dollars for my tie. Um, your your producer might have to be paid fifty dollars to wear my tie. <laughs> we, we're all different, and so it's it's yeah. it's ours. It's the value that we have, and, and what we're willing to pay for it. That's what gives value to a good. It's not the amount of labor. The amount of it can be a mistake. The amount of labor in something, mm-hmm. or it can be a, a very smart thing. And this is the role of the entrepreneur to sort of see into the future, and really these great entrepreneurs have a, a sense in which they can actually understand the future. They, they can see that if things are put together in a certain way and certain goods produced of uh, a certain sort at a certain time in a certain place, uh, they're going to make a lot of money mm-hmm. and, um, and serve the public. So this is uh, um, Adam Smith, uh, you know, helped... Even though there's much significant about him, he's a very, very significant guy in many, many different ways, and and uh, did a lot of good stuff. Um, but he wasn't all he was not was not all good. Yeah. And um, he was really a sidetracking from the real trend of free market economics, which began on the continent in uh, again in the time of the late scholastics in Spain and Portugal and in Italy, and then continued through France and through. Uh, um, through Austria, um, yeah, and then to the United States, because this is where the Austrian school moved when Mises uh, was forced to flee the Nazis, and he and his wife, um, just like a movie, going across France in their car um, uh, in front of the Nazi army, the Nazi armies moving in, and thank uh, God he got to Portugal uh, before uh, the Nazis got him. He'd been he'd been uh, condemned to death in in absentia. Uh, as the key opponent of the Nazis from an economic standpoint. Mm. And uh, he escaped, he and his wife escaped to Portugal. They got on a ship. He lost everything. I mean, lost all, uh, uh, everything he had. And um, But came here, and some great businessmen um, paid New York University. The creeps wouldn't, even though he was a man of unbelievable achievements and uh, such a great teacher and such a great man, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give him a paying job, but they agreed if other people paid for him to teach there, they would uh, grudgingly accept him as a free professor. Oh, um, incredible. So Why? Lawrence Why the bias? And Lawrence Fertig and other great men did that, and he taught there for many, many years uh, until um, really he was the oldest, the oldest uh, active professor um, in the United States towards the end. Is that right? Well, why the bias? I mean, so here you're talking about these great continental uh, economists of the Austrian school, and yet we hear very little about it in our educational system. Adam Smith, yes, we're told about Adam Smith, I, I guess, at least I was years, a, a couple of, three, four decades ago. When sure, I you're told about the great economists, Smith, Marx, Keynes. Yeah. Right. Those are the ones that we hear about. Yeah. Uh, why the bias? Why, uh, who, I mean, is it, I mean, who's, who stands to lose from Austrian economics. Well, first of all, it's interesting if we go back to the 
the 1870s, the, the key opponent of the Austrians was something called the German Historical School, which was um, very, very statist. And they actually named the Austrian school uh, as a way of saying that they were inferior because, of course, anything Austrian was obviously inferior to anything German. Uh, and this sometimes happens in the history of thought. The Austrians ended up using this name, um, even though Austrian economics has actually nothing to do with this, the country of Austria, uh-huh. um, except what happened at the uh, at the University of Vienna, and that some of the great Austrians, of course, were were born in Austria. Um, but it's not as particularly Austrian in the in a national sense. But the so the you had this very very status school. These people were happily happily. Uh, um, some of them became, you know, economists for Hitler. Later, other them became communist economists for, for the East German communists. And uh, so these uh, uh, not good people. But you, if if you think of, and it's not only the Austrians, but really the, also the classical school of economics that preceded them. Um, many of them better than Adam Smith, but Adam Smith was good in a number of ways too. Uh, if you think of these economists, what they were saying to the government. Uh, in general, was deficit spending is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Big spending is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. High tariffs are not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, high taxes are not a good idea. Um, cut back. So then you have the German historical school. You have um, Keynes, especially. Uh, you have uh, all of a sudden giving an academic gloss, uh, an academic excuse, scholarly excuse to what every politician wants to do, because Keynes said. Hey, deficit spending is magnificent. Yeah. Uh, huge spending is magnificent. Uh, just spend everything. Even if you build a pyramid, sounds like a joke, but that's what he said in the general theory. Even yeah. if you build a pyramid, that's a great thing because your government is spending the money mm-hmm. and uh, inflate and uh, hold the interest rates to zero in order to bring about the, what he said the the euthanasia of the rentiers, which was <laughs> saying the the death. Of those who lived off interest, uh, but, oh. you ha- but it's you know important for people to invest and receive interest. It's a very it's essential to the capitalist process. But Keynes hated it, and uh, so he he told the the politicians to do everything they these creeps wanted to do anyway, uh, and and gave them Roosevelt and the and the rest of them an excuse for it. So why is it so popular? Because it promotes all the the. Uh, the evildoers in society and uh, makes them big shots and makes them rich. That's why it's popular. It leads because people, it's a good thing. It leads people to believe uh, out of ignorance so that they can have something for nothing, doesn't it? Yeah, and of course, you know, I uh, uh, just if we if we look at this recent uh, tragedy with with uh, Hurricane Sandy mm-hmm. and with popular support, you have the creep. Uh, Chris Christie and the governor yeah. of New Jersey, yeah. uh, and same with with uh, the governor of New York. But Christie yeah. was worse, um, uh, putting these price, anti so-called anti-price gouging laws right. in effect, right. so that ga- gasoline station owners risked going to jail if they increased right. the price of gasoline. Right, right. So, um, and a lot of people said, "Hey, well, that's right. Poor people who are hurt in the hurricane shouldn't have yeah. to pay higher prices." Well, if you put a price control on something. And all of a sudden, it's more valuable because there's much less of it, and there's a great need for generators and, of course, your cars and and so forth. You have a shortage. By the way, any time there's a shortage of anything, you know the government's dirty hands are involved mm-hmm. because there is never a shortage of anything on the free market. Right. Uh, things may be very expensive, but if you have got the money, you can buy a Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. There are very sure. few Rembrandts, but you can buy one. Yeah. You've got the money. There's no shortage of Rembrandts. Yeah. But there was a shortage of gasoline. 
still is a shortage of gasoline in New Jersey. So yeah. you have these huge lines, and uh, uh, because all of a sudden gasoline was far more valuable, you have to allow the price to rise. What would it, what happens then? I don't know what gasoline would have sold for right after after the hurricane hit. Would it have been fifteen dollars a gallon? Would have been twenty dollars a gallon, whatever it would have been. Yeah. You would have had every guy in the whole country with a tanker truck or people with fleets of tanker trucks sending all the gasoline to New Jersey, and yeah. all and the price would have come way back down, and everybody would have had the gasoline that they needed. They would not have had it to wait on had to wait online. Absolutely. But people are so stupid to believe that you can just have the government set the price yeah. out of you know, alleged compassion. Yeah. Actually, of course, their desire to control. Does right. anything about anybody in government? They love controlling other people. They love stepping on people. They love running your life. They get a kick out of this. They let it get a kick. That's the totalitarian impulse. And look at Christie. He's certainly a potential dictator. Okay. He's already a partial dictator. He's a potential dictator. Yeah. And well, um, they, get, they get paid for that too. They get paid to do that stuff. And uh, you sure, know, under the Lou, table too, of course. Lou, I'm I'm talking to you from Queens, New York, and and I witnessed the long gas lines. Fortunately, I don't have to drive that much, but I did. I think I sat in line for 15 minutes once to fill up my tank. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm saying to myself, you know, the the price was frozen as it was before the storm, at 385 or something at the tank, uh, the the gas station at the end of my block. And I'm thinking, not only gasoline, but what about water and other supplies? And you mentioned generators, things that people need urgently. Well. Heck, the best way to get supply there is to let the markets drive it. And, of course, uh, why is this so difficult to understand? And it's so key. I mean, this is why we're going off the cliff. This is why we're, we're headed into big trouble is because this very basic understanding of markets, which is so intuitive, it's so, it's so logical, it's, it's something my mother can understand very well. I've oftentimes said that the biggest disadvantage you could have in life is to have a Ph.D. in economics from a major university. Would you agree? Well, Mises said economics is far too important to be left to the economists. Yeah. It is important for all of us to understand some economics, and why I want to mention again, Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. Um, it's, it's really uh, such a tremendous book. You read that book, you'll know far more economics than uh, anybody you'll hear on television, certainly than any politician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, some economic error is part of the problem with politicians. But they also all are little Hitlers. I mean, yeah. they would like to run everything. They love spying on us. They love reading your email, listening to your phone calls, being able to put you on a kill list, put you in a secret uh, uh, a cage someplace, send you to Guantanamo to be tortured or whatever. I mean, this is what they live for. These people live for this. They love it. They love killing. They love starting wars. They love sending uh, young men to be killed in foreign countries. They love killing people in foreign countries. They right. love bombs and planes and atomic bombs and ships and missiles and so forth. This is so. This is a uh, this is the the real criminal class in society. They make the mafia look like angels, but, and uh, so we want less of them. We want but Lou, we want but them out Lou, of our lives know, to the extent possible. But Lou, the American people are responsible for letting this happen. Though, I mean, I know you're doing what you can. Ron Paul uh, has done what he what he's can what he could do in Congress. People seem to be asleep. I mean, is it a matter of bread and circus? As one of my guests recently said, people are just. You know, too involved with desperate housewives or football or basket. You know, whatever. I mean, why well, do people not, not wake up? This is not a coincidence that people are um, uh, uh, salivating over football games, right. which are sort of a militaristic uh, game anyway, uh, mm-hmm. and that's why the government loves to promote it and have the jets flying over it and all, all the rest mm-hmm. of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So they they promote this kind of thing. This is why there are government schools. 
to uh, teach error and to teach obeisance to the state and mm-hmm. uh, bowing down and worship of politicians and mm-hmm. be happy to give them your wallets, your children or yourself to go fight their wars and and obey them in every in, in every other sense, but still the people can change things. I mean, uh-huh. it's absolutely true that people are responsible, but every government needs the consent of the governed, even a dictatorial government, because government is much smaller than the people. Mm-hmm. It, it's the, because of it, it's a question of the parasite and the host. Mm-hmm. The parasite gets too big, it can't live it up at the expense of the people. So the government is always necessarily smaller than the people. And if we don't give them, it's actually possible to withdraw consent it's actually possible if enough hearts and minds are changed um, that we can really cut them back. But, of course, right now, especially ever since the uh, 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 government happy day of 9-11, they've been celebrating it ever since, um, we've seen just a, you know, an unbelievable increase in the police state, the warfare state, the welfare state, the Keynesian state, mm-hmm. um, uh, everything terrible. Um, but I think more and more people are waking up, and this is also the fight that's gone on from the very beginning of, of uh, human civilization. Uh, yeah. uh, think of Cain as the first government. I mean, this is yeah. this is uh, uh, we've always had these types of people. Uh, those of us who want prosperity, who want freedom, who want a future for the human race, who want flourishing for the human race, and think that this parasitical institution called government um, uh, needs to be pushed back and. And we really don't need it in any sense. It really is. It, it's a matter of uh, do you agree that it's wrong always and everywhere to use violence or the threat of violence against the innocent? Mm-hmm. And, of course, sure. government is nothing but violence and the threat of violence. Right. They claim the right to kill you if you sufficiently resist paying your, your parking ticket. Right, right. So uh, this is a very nasty bunch, Well, and, and uh, we have to organize against them not not in terms of arms or anything like that, because, of course, killing and torture is their way. That's not our way. Our way is the way of peace and of tolerance and of voluntarism. But if we intellectually organize against them, if more and more people, as Ron Paul, again, has affected millions of lives, um, if we can build on what Ron did, uh, and I see amazing changes among young people Mm -hmm. um, that give me a lot of hope for the future, uh, we've got, of course, bad economic times ahead. We're already in bad economic times, probably worse economic times. But uh, I don't think all is lost. I think that no. um, uh, there is hope for the future. And I think if if one is religious, we were talking about this, we know that uh, good wins in the end anyway. Yeah. So um, uh, we should never lose our hope and, and uh, never be pessimists, but always be optimists, at least in the long run. This was Murray Rothbard's rule. Well, and he thought that from from the standpoint of economic law and many other things that it was uh, valid and right to be an optimist in the long run, even if uh, facts probably justified being a pessimist in the short run. Right, certainly. Well, you know, Ron Paul just uh, will be leaving Congress very shortly as soon as the lame duck session is, is yeah, out of the way. Uh, Jeff Deist is a frequent uh, guest on this show, and I think Jeff helped to craft Ron's uh, farewell speech. But I want to ask you, as as one who worked for Ron in the past, how uh, Ron raised the question in his talk, in his speech, you know, how much did I accomplish? And I would gather that you think he accomplished an awful lot. Uh, and yeah. that, uh, that, that there is hope now, uh, in part because, a large part because of what he did. And to what extent do you think this can help um, 
really vitalize or, or give some more strength to the Mises Institute in this because it's really an educational process, isn't it? That's what, it we, is that's what Ron was process, all about. As, as Ron himself said, and so as he said in his farewell speech, if you look at what I've done from the standpoint of sort of the regular judgment of politics, I look like a total failure. Yeah. But if you look at things with the with the, uh, eyes far to the future, and you look at look at what he actually has accomplished outside of Congress. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't think there's ever been anybody like Ron Paul in the history of American politics. Certainly not for the good. I mean, plenty of people, of course, who have accomplished much for the for the for the yeah. uh, the dark side. Sure. So Ron has has touched so many people, not only in this country but around the world. Um, as you pointed out, he's very popular in in other countries. He's got fantastic plans for the future, educational plans, and uh, mass media plans. And he is not retiring. In fact, I think we can think of him as stepping everything up and building on what he's accomplished. And uh, maybe someday people will look back and think of this as the age of Ron Paul. Yeah, he's remarkably resilient for a man his age, for sure. He keeps himself in impeccably great shape. And, uh, and there are, you know, there is some room for optimists. There are, other, there are optimists in our camp, to be sure. Bob Hoy is a Canadian market analyst who's on this show from time to time, and he's, he's believing that, that, in fact, we're going through the ringer now. We're going to see some really difficult times, but, in fact, that will bring about what he calls a bull market in common sense uh, and in terms of downsizing and requiring uh, and demanding less government intrusion in our lives. And Richard Mayberry talked again last month about his optimism because he talks about how America is repeating the pattern common in world history. He says where, uh, where he believes that we'll go through an inflationary hell for a while, then the terrified leaders will flee and America will get a chance to make a fresh start. And I think what he's thinking is that it's people like the Mises Institute, Ron Paul and others who are planting the seeds for liberty because if there is a vacuum, you're going to need to have, you know, someone will step into the vacuum. It, it just depends on whether or not it's going to be the dark side or the side of light, right? So well, I guess we there's had the reason Great Depression. For we had the Great Depression and we had both the Republicans and the Democrats, the evil Hoover, the evil Roosevelt, uh, arguing that there was a Great Depression because the free market had been allowed to run free. Yeah. And therefore we needed much more, um, much more uh, economic controls. So, um, and people, you know, a lot of people came to believe that it was the free market that caused the Depression, even, uh, even though it was the Federal Reserve that caused the Depression. And all its machinations during, during uh, the 1920s, Rothbard's book, America's Great Depression, is the key work to to look at about this, and we didn't get out of the Depression until after World War II. And, of course, the Keynesians would claim that World War II got us out of the Depression. It's not true, of course. Killing, you know, killing the unemployed and, and uh, destroying property is not economically productive. I mean, it's obvious that it's crazy. And uh, it wasn't until the government was massively cut after World War II. Uh, and in 1946, we had probably the greatest year of economic growth ever in the history of the human race, probably a 30% economic growth in one year in this country mm. um, because yet, of the massive cutting of government. So now we have, we're in a crisis. When the crisis gets work, worse, there's going to be the intellectual battle. We have the Keynesians saying, oh, we need you know, the total state, we need the Sovietization, or we need the Mussoliniization. Yep. Uh, and uh, then we have our side talking about why we need much less government, we don't need a Fed. We don't need uh, a, war, a U.S. empire. We don't need the military-industrial complex. We don't need the U.S. fascist uh, economics. Uh, excuse me, medical system, the economic system too, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, the Bush-Obama uh, fascist medical uh, system. 
we don't need that, and it's actually extremely destructive. So the battle is coming, the intellectual battle, and uh, we're in far better shape than we were in uh, 1933 and 29-33. to 33. So we just have to see. We have to fight our hardest. But again, this is something uh, that has been going on as long as human beings have been on the earth, the fight between power and market, as Rothbard put it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to do our job. We're called to do the job. This is the time to do it. And uh, it's so important, first of all, to learn, to be yourself, uh, understand something about economics, something about history and political philosophy of libertarianism and so forth. Yeah, and, indeed. Uh, so I would say take a look at Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S dot O-R-G, also LewRockwell.com, my personal site. Yeah, uh, for sure. But, you know, it is, uh, it is the, necess- the necessity of learning you know, this basic free market uh, economics, the supply and demand, and how markets uh, efficiently, uh, most efficiently uh, clear, and how they uh, allocate scarce resources, as you were talking about with the flood up here in, in New York and all that, uh, until people really understand that. And, and, I mean, this is because we are really dealing with the, with the power of the state that has all of the resources and the educational system, all of these factories are going up, these uh, propaganda factories, I call them, around the city of New York here, uh, that are really taught, uh, that are really there to, to, to form the, the minds and the hearts and the minds of people towards, away from liberty, towards, towards fascism. So we, we do have a, a big, you know, quite a task on our hands, don't we? Yes, we do. But and, uh, uh, we're, I think we're up to it. I hope we're up to it. And certainly we have the truth on our side. <laughs> That's a big help. Yeah, so the other guys are engaged in propagating lies. Uh, we're engaged in propagating the truth. Um, may the truth win. There's uh, so many good things at Mises.org. One I wanted to ask you about, we're out of time now, but uh, one had to do with uh, why Obama is not a friend of women or some such topic like that. Uh, I, had, uh, I had gone over Eisenhower's farewell speech and I'd come up with a lot of questions and things I wanted to talk to you about it there as well, but I, I, thought, I thought it was really important today to sort of lay the groundwork uh, and to talk a little bit about Mises. Uh, .org and the Mises Institute, because I'd really like to to have more of your scholars come on to my show from time to time. Various people, Ron Paul's been on a number of times. Uh, a lot of other free market people have been on. I want to thank you very much, uh, Lou, for taking your valuable time to be with us. I'm looking forward to to meeting up with you at some of your events and and letting our listeners know about them as well. You do have something coming up, I think, in Houston in the near future. Is that right? We do. If you go to Mises.org and you take a look at uh, the events tab at the top of the page, mm-hmm. you see our Houston Mises Circle and uh, other things coming up, student programs and and other things. And we'd love to have uh, your listeners come in, come in here. Very good. Very good. Thank you so much, Lou Rockwell, for being with us and uh, hope to have you on again sometime in the near future. Jay, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Dudley Baker. We're going to talk to him about uh, some of the opportunities in the mining space and among the uh, gold and silver mining companies, companies uh, that not only sell their shares but also have free trading warrants attached to them. So this is an area that Dudley Baker has uh, focused on. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dudley Baker. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Our Vista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Dudley Baker. He is the founder and editor of Precious Metals Warrants and uh, a 1967 graduate of St. Mary's University in San Antonio with a major in accounting. And after graduating, he went directly to work for the bad guys. Well, let's say the Internal Revenue Service, where he was an IRS agent, team coordinator even. I mean, this guy was not just a... sitting behind a desk in some lowly position. He was the IRS agent and team coordinator, uh, heading up the audits on the largest corporations in the world. In 1996, and after 29 years uh, with the feds, he applied for an early retirement in March 2005. Dudley founded and launched his new investment market data service, uh, Precious Metals Warrants. 
which provides the detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading in the United States and the Canadian exchanges. Uh, as an investor himself, in October 2004, he could not find this information and thus uh, decided to uh, pull it together uh, for the benefit of his uh, of his subscribers. So uh, uh, his website, I might just mention, uh, is preciousmetalswarrants.com. Very obvious and easy to remember if you're interested in warrants, and especially precious metals warrants, preciousmetalswarrants.com. Welcome, Dudley, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Uh, great, great to be with you, and and proud of proud of you there for finding my bio. And uh, you know, I've always thrown out my past past life career uh, right on my website. So full disclosure, uh, knowing full well that not everybody's excited to see a former IRS agent in the investment business. You know, uh, one one of the other uh, Martin Weiss uh, out of Florida. Uh, I had dinner with him in my first year or so in the business, and Martin was. Uh, Said Dudley, you know, you've got to play off of your background. It is what it is, you know, and uh, and I did it at the highest level, being as you said, the coordinator of, let's say, the Exxon Mobiles of the world is where I spent mm-hmm. a lot of my career. So the mm-hmm. biggest of the big, and uh, but it, I do approach the markets with, a, I say, a little bit different background, maybe than a, a geo would, where it's more of an analytical background and. Uh, looking for opportunities, almost like an investigator, you know, looking for good stuff, looking for bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So a little bit different approach. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so you went after those evil corporations, I guess, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you would make uh, Mr. Obama proud, probably. Um, uh, you would uh, make Karl Marx proud. So anyway, you're now a, a free market guy, for sure. You're dealing in, uh, you know, your... Um, Helping people make money in the warrants. Uh, are you involved only uh, in precious metals warrants, or do you look at warrants for other other mining companies or other kinds of companies? No, no. I've just I chose when I started the site to stay within the natural resource sector. This this sector has been my hot button for a long time, and uh, and yes, there's probably some other warrants, uh, you know, on, on banks or technology companies, etc. I've just chosen not to go there. I've really limited my focus to the resource sector. This is basically where all my investment dollars go, and uh, so I don't want to, you know, diffuse my attention to this sector. And we've got some great choices within this sector, but I will say, you know, within our service, it's always personally. I feel like I've, if I'm the warrant guy, I need to have a significant position in warrants, right? Which I do is maybe 25% of my portfolio, but. The other twenty, the other seventy-five percent is basically in resource shares. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know the focus. Uh, I guess when, whenever I'm talking is it gets to warrants, which is understandable uh, with the name of the service. But yet three quarters of my of my uh, you know personal portfolio and actually our service now is about you know sharing all of the stocks with my subscribers, my entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, Including the warrants, yeah. Okay, well, we're, Dudley, we're looking at today, uh, the markets were not very kind to, uh, to gold mining companies for sure. Right. We're looking at the TSX gold index, it was down 7.69 to 310.76. What is your view on the precious metals right now? Yeah, we're kind of getting beat up here today. I, you know, I really, uh, the shares are just, uh, are, are just still getting killed. And of course, we've got tax loss sell- selling season that we, you could say we're in today, and, and we're going to be in for the next month. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, heaven forbid this gets too much worse. Uh, but I think we're, we're 
as the Rick Rules of the world love to say, you know, the way you make money is you buy low and you sell high. Mm-hmm. Well, we're pretty darn low right now, are we not? Yeah, and we so, certainly are. Uh, you know, you just have to be at least selectively buying into this marketplace. That that's my view. I'm I'm very bullish. Uh, you know, in the coming year as to where. You know, gold and silver are going to go. I think we're going substantially higher. Now, I'm always asked, so Dudley, what does that mean? And, uh, and you know, I, I can't really quantify it myself. I don't have any unique views on the high. You know, we all think, you know, 2200 2500 or more, and, and that would be great. The, the equally important to me is, is when do we think this would happen? And, and frequently I throw out uh, a date that I've been looking for for years, and this is uh, January of uh, 2014. Uh, so now we're about 15 months away. And this is just based on Fibonacci numbers. Okay. You know, you just, you just think back to January 1980, the, the old previous high, and then uh, and then add 34 years, and we're sitting mm-hmm. in January 2014. So mm-hmm. that's a tar- my first target date of maybe a significant peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, timing is everything, as they say. And are you more bullish on silver or gold? Uh, I'd have to say silver. Uh, I, I look at my personal portfolio, and uh, I'm not exactly sure I set out the planet this way, but I think I've got uh, twice the uh, dollar investment in silver mining companies or warrants as I do in the gold companies. So it's like it just kind of has evolved. I seem to continue to find better, uh, some, you know, more opportunities in the silver arena. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about some of those. What do you see in the silver uh, among silver companies? What are some of them that you like? What uh, let's let's start with the warrants. Are there some particularly attractive uh, silver mining company warrants that you think are are worth people taking a look at? You know, and that's a great question. And I would say, with respect to silver companies, I. Uh, well, one that I like, but it's, uh, I'll mention it, but, but I'd almost discourage anybody from really stepping in today, but I, I love the company, which is Arcana, mm-hmm. A-U-R-C-A-N-A, but the warrant really only has about one year of remaining life. Mm-hmm. This is a good example of one that, uh, where I think the common shares are really going to start performing here very soon, you know, from around a dollar range. But uh, the warrant will expire in roughly one year. It's a good example. I would like to have two years or more mm-hmm. of remaining life before I step in here. Mm-hmm. Something happens, you know, the project gets delayed, uh, the markets go down instead of go up. Uh, we're losing valuable time. And uh, yeah, I just like to have a much larger time horizon on that. So other than, than the Arcana warrant, which I would, you know, say less, less the average guy should probably avoid. Uh, there's not another one that really jumps out at me either. Uh, Silver Wheaton has a warrant, but it's going to expire in one year as well. And so uh, there's very few. Now, when you get over to the golds, you know, you've got, uh, you know, one I know you're familiar with is Sandstorm Gold, which yeah, has been a sure. wonderful story, uh-huh. uh, as well as New Gold. Mm-hmm. And so we've got uh, uh, multiple warrants on uh, on Sandstorm now, and one on New Gold that goes out to uh, 2017. So uh, right. lots of time, lots of life, uh, great opportunities. I think with both of those. Let me ask you though, uh, going back to Arcana, just give us the details on Arcana. What is the? Uh, it's got a, a one year life left about on the warrant, but what is the strike price and what is the share now? 
share price? Uh, the shares are uh, probably closing today at about 103, 104. The exercise price is one dollar even. Uh huh. So it's in the money. Uh, about one year remaining life. So it's. Uh, you know, it's it's worth little or, little or nothing here at the moment. Uh, the warrant's probably closing today at, at forty four cents, forty five cents. Uh, so uh, it's it's a little dicey. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I have a nice share position that I picked up at lower prices. Mm-hmm. But for new people stepping in here, you know, the worst thing we want to do, Jay, both of us, is to get investors coming in at this particular time. And taking you know even more risk on than they need to, right? Yeah. Where, where the common shares, I think, are, uh, are going to afford good opportunity. The warrants may work out for, and, and then they may not work out. So we don't want to set people up where they can have the excuse to, to, you know, come back to us or even to lose money. We we both want to are here to help uh, all of our subscribers make money. Well, for sure. I mean that's. Uh... Uh, this is one of the reasons. I mean, I'm, I have my own uh, concerns about the liquidity in these markets and a lot of these little companies that may not be able to fund themselves and stay in business unless, you know, so I have a real strong bias towards those that are cash flow positive or earning, that are producing gold and silver and, and earning money and can grow organically and can go and, and gobble up the other guys that are unfortunately not going to survive. Um, you, uh, so, so certainly that's, that's, uh, that's true. Uh, and, and you have to be careful. So I, I'm thinking you need to keep a lot of cash around, Dudley, so that you can buy these things because this market could go lower yet. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, you know, I wish I knew how to do that, keep cash yeah. around. How it's do you difficult. Keep, I keep finding opportunities, yeah. and I keep, uh, I keep spending the money. Well, but, but let me tell you, uh, I've got three little silver companies here. So these okay. are shares. These are yep. not, these are not uh, warrants, but shares. Okay. And, uh, and the first one, you and I both uh, recommend this. And mm-hmm. it's incredible. This is a little five-cent stock, mm-hmm. Southern Silver. A uh, big project down here in Durango, Mexico. Uh, that, as you know, Freeport McMoran just came in with a joint venture, you know, uh, mm-hmm. going, going to put up $25 million, you know, over 10 years mm-hmm. for this big project. Now, to me, this is pretty incredible for, you know, a small company like Southern Silver selling right. in a nickel. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think these are the, the opportunities you, you and I love to find for our subscriber base. Yeah. Uh, is there still risk? Of course, there's still risk, but but I love these stories uh, like, like Southern Silver. Yeah. Uh, another one that seems uh, two other ones that I I'm not sure they're on your radar screen. Uh, one one uh, Silver Bull Resources. Silver Bull actually uh, I was not familiar with it either a couple of months ago. Uh, uh, symbol is SVB on the Toronto, Sam Victor Baker on the Toronto. Uh, uh, the mining analyst now that I've got uh, kind of working under my umbrella doing some uh, consulting with, with me, uh, he brought it to my attention. He said, Dudley, you've got to take a look at this silver bull. They're just getting great drill results, and they're right here in Mexico. And so we did. And, uh, and now that's a, a significant piece uh, of, of my portfolio. And... Uh, but I love it. It's it's here in Mexico. It's they've got about four million cash in the bank, which is always a good thing. They are on target to uh, have a uh, hundred million ounces of silver uh, by uh, by the end of this year. Hmm. And uh, and Coeur d'Alene is is one of their strate- or is the strategic partner there that's come in uh, with a little over ten percent. 
What's the stock here. selling at, Dudley, in market cap, more or less? We're at, we're at about 47 cents uh-huh. uh, at the moment. Market cap, I do not have right in front okay. of me. Uh, shame on me there. Yeah. Okay, no problem. Another one, very similar, very similar story, which I can't hardly believe. I almost put both of these companies on a, on a parallel path, is Solturo, S-O-L-T-O-R-O. Mm-hmm. Symbol is S-O-L on the, on the venture. Uh, again, in Mexico, all of the properties are in the state of Jalisco, which is where I live here, just outside of uh, Guadalajara. And uh, I visited their their properties uh, many times. Uh, Andrew Thompson's the president out of Toronto. Again, similar, roughly four million cash in the bank. They are on target building their resource up to about a hundred million ounces of silver by the uh, end of this year. Uh, and Cordelaine as well has. Uh-huh. I think it's seven or eight percent of Soltoro. So two interesting, and Soltoro is selling probably for uh, oh fifty cents, fifty-two cents something. Two very similar companies, all in Mexico. Uh, you know, destined to hit this hundred million ounce uh, resource of silver here by the end of the year. And, okay, Dudley. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time here. Tell our listeners where they can avail themselves to your service. They can follow your work. Yeah, just just go to preciousmetalswarrants.com. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to have you as a subscriber, but if not, sign up for our free email list and uh, stay in touch with what we're doing. So, Excellent. glad to have you. Thank you very much, Dudley. We are out of time. Uh, we'll have to do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Okay, great to be with you, Jay. Uh, thank you, Dudley. Okay, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on this week's program and also let you know who our guest next week will be. So don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest monthly national nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. 
Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I just want to uh, sort of go over some of the things we talked about today, starting with Riverside Resources. I, uh, one of the things I'm doing now on this show is, uh, is talking a little bit more about companies that I think have uh, tremendous uh, potential, and when there's some news event, I, I like to bring it to your attention. And what caught my eye with Riverside was the announcement of this uh, 450 or 445 meter intersection in this um, in this porphyry uh, mineralized uh, structure in British Columbia, uh, and the note uh, the notion that uh, this could be something that is uh, the start of something big, uh, if that's true, and there is reason to be optimistic uh, that it could be, then this little company with a 25 million dollar market cap could really truly be off to the races. Uh, even in this kind of a market, if you find something that is really big, really large, it could be off to the races. And again, Riverside has uh, cliffs operating, looking for major deposits in Mexico, got several other projects itself that it's, uh, that it's working on, has smaller companies spending their money. Again, the project generator model, which I think is the best model going. Millrock Resources, another company on our, uh, that, is, uh, that is a sponsor of this show. We've talked to them as well. Uh, as my favorite probably is Eurasian Minerals, which I uh, really have uh, invested a fair amount of my own money into that as well. These are all companies that are sponsors to this show. They're all companies that have also been uh, recommendations in my newsletter. We really enjoyed talking with Lou Rockwell today, uh, and that organization, the Mises Institute, uh, I truly, really believe that that is the direction our country needs to go is more towards free market economics but in order for that to happen people have to understand really what what the truth is and honestly uh, the propaganda machine that we have coming out of our mainstream media is uh, it's it's nothing but a bunch of lies honestly it's telling us that you can have prosperity without working it's telling us that uh, you know we can go after the rich guys and and take their capital and, and steal from them really Honestly, government spending and taxation is a form of confiscation. It's a form of denial of property rights. Now, if you believe that you don't have the right to your own property, okay, then that's go ahead. Live in a socialist country. Live in a communist country. Be my guest. Uh, the problem with people who think in terms of socialism is go take their property from them and see what they have to say. Yeah, it's, lo- it's good as long as you take someone else's property away. That's fine. Just don't take mine. 
And, uh, you know, they're called Cadillac liberals sometimes. But on the other side of the political spectrum, our Republican friends, uh, you know, there's never a war they think we shouldn't fight. There's never a country we shouldn't go and beat the hell out of people and take their lives and take their country away from them. So, you know, I mean, that's why I said a communist or a fascist was your choice for this election. And Lou Rockwell corrected me and said, I think I would say you have a choice of a fascist and a fascist. And I would basically have to agree with him on that uh, on that score. Well, we uh, we talk a lot of philosophy. We talk a lot of um, uh, of economic theory here on the show. And of course, that's more uh, what Lou Rockwell uh, has to offer for sure. And I would just really suggest strongly that you go to Mises.org. It's very interesting how uh, he actually uh, had worked for von Mises at one time and then uh, and then carried on von Mises' work. The story of von Mises himself, how he escaped uh, Nazi Germany, is is uh, is really something uh, in itself, and it's one that I'd like to to know a little bit more about as well. Lou Lou talked about that a little bit today. Uh, certainly, uh, we I want to have more of the Miesian, uh writers and people on the show. I'll have them on from time to time. And then we we do want to talk to those people that have some concrete ideas about how to make money. Peter Schiff comes to mind. I've not had him on the show. I've interviewed him for my newsletter in the past. He is very much a Miesian, very much a free market guy who also uh, connects markets and making money. We do hope to have uh, David Stockman on this show sometime in the not too distant future. He did suggest that he would be uh, might be willing to come on the show after he finishes the book, which Lou Rockwell talked about briefly today as well. And lastly, it was good to have Dudley Baker with me. You know, ways to make money in this market. How can you do it? Well, I have to say it's really a difficult market for the junior resource sector. I'm seeing. You know, 80% of my screen is red today. The market is down big in the junior sector. Of course, the equity market is down big. And my big fear is that we are in a major, major uh, economic decline and that the equity markets are uh, are about to start to reflect that, um, that we are in a secular bear market uh, that could make the 1930s still, that we could see the lows of March of 2009 taken out very easily, unfortunately. That's what I believe. Bob Prechter, who's been on this show, believes that, Ian Gordon, others. Uh, I hope I'm wrong about that, but I'm, I'm uh, preparing myself to be uh, that that could be the case, and which is why I'm keeping a good portion, roughly 50% of my own IRA in cash at this point in time, really worried. Uh, I think that there will be opportunities. I'm not aggressively a buyer now of the junior sector because I think there's still a lot of blood in the streets yet to flow, unfortunately. That's the way I see it. So I'm focusing on the majors. Well, we, uh, the major companies that have cash flow that can produce profits and grow organically, we are out of time. Sorry to say next week, James Cook will be with me. Uh, he's uh, from uh, Investment Rarities. That's a precious metals uh, dealer in Minneapolis. James Cook, a hard money guy, an Austrian as well, should be very worth hearing what he has to say and how he thinks you can survive uh, the difficulties ahead. In closing, I want to thank Tacey Trump, uh, my producer, and Matt Wiedemer, uh, Wiedener, he's my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.